We've been here before. Where is here? Well, I mean, actually, as I was saying, as, as I began those words for this week's teaching, we've been here before, I was thinking back to, um, uh, I, had start, I had thought that I had started a message with this exact line um, that I'm going to quote right now from Ecclesiastes 1. I had thought that I had started a message with that recently. Ecclesiastes 1 says, that which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Then I realized that as optimistic and exciting as that text is, that isn't the one that I had previously quoted from Ecclesiastes. That one was even better. It was vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now that's exciting, isn't it? But that was our Sukkot message. When we talked about the word vanity, it does not really mean vanity. It means fleeting breath. And Solomon was talking about the fact that life truly is a fleeting breath, and we must take advantage of it. But when I realized that I had not started the message with nothing's under the sun, that gave me permission to start this week's message with nothing new under the sun and get you really excited. Are you excited? Because in essence, what this translates to is no matter what I'm about to tell you, you've heard it before, you've learned it, you already know it. So is that exciting? Nothing new under the sun. That's what that means, right? So now people are settling down in their chair, getting snuggled in for a little nap. The people who would normally be watching it, oh, nobody's watching at home because we're not live streaming. But if they were, they'd be getting up to go get their coffee right now. Because who wants to hear a message about something you already know? There's nothing new to tell you. We've been here before. Everybody wants something new. I want some new deep truth. I want something novel. But here's how it works. Anything I could say has been said before. And what Solomon's talking about is that the messages and the lessons that we should learn as children of God, they keep coming around. They keep happening, but there is something new. It's the situation in which we are experiencing the opportunity to learn these lessons. Now, that's a very confusing statement. Let me clarify it. Friends, right now in the world, we find ourselves in one of the most confusing, conflicted, disruptive, disordered states that I in 48 years have ever seen. And many people older than me have echoed that very same statement. From pandemics to politics to police to protests and much, much more. And although, though our situation may look different, so very different than anything any of us have ever seen before, we have been here before. because we are somewhere down deep, humans. We are still humans, humanity. We are God's creation. We are remarkable, 
God's favorite thing that he ever did, look to the person to your left or right. He's God's favorite. She's God's favorite thing. We all are. That's why he made the world for us. And as remarkable as our ability is to do amazing and creative things throughout history, for thousands of years, we've done the opposite. And we have labored to destroy the world and to destroy each other. because we suffer from similar human tendencies and that have plagued humanity since day one. And my real point in saying that there's nothing new under the sun is to say this. Parsha Noah, that's this week's Torah portion. We are in the second Torah portion of the year, right? Bereshit, the beginning, the creation story. It's wonderful. God's doing all this thing and he makes this beautiful place and he says, Adam, Eve, Adam, you shouldn't be alone. Eve, you should have, you know, you take care of him. Adam, take care of her. You guys can farm the land. It's going to be incredible. First thing, disobedience. Then we get a murder. And by the second Torah portion, we're talking six chapters in, not that that really is the reference of time, but it's not very long. We've seen, we've seen disobedience, exile, and murder. And now, in Genesis 6, 11, six chapters, the earth was corrupt in its relation to God and was full of wanton violence. Everything was perverted because all mankind lived corrupt lifestyles on earth. You hear those words? That was not very long after this majestic world was created and God placed us in it. For effect, the earth was corrupt in its relation to God and was full of wanton violence. Everything was perverted because all mankind lived corrupt lifestyles on earth. Quoting from a recent blog from David Friedman, Friedman rabbi in, in Israel. As I read this week's Parsha, I'm reminded that our greatest problems in the world today are not new. They are the same ones as in ancient times, recycled into our current generation. Our Parsha opens with a view of human life from over 4,000 years ago, and yet it sounds a bit familiar. A world in chaos on the brink of destruction. Why? Hatred and wanton violence. I told you we had ancient human problems. They go way back. So when I say... Nothing is new under the sun. That is true in so many ways. But what you see around you out there in the world right now and everything where you turn on the TV and get incredibly depressed or you turn on your phone and something happens and it's like, God help us if you ever put yourself on social media and look. I mean, you just want to walk out in front of a bus. But it is nothing new. We've been here before. And I so encouraging. I, I, one of my main things to do when I, you come to Shabbat is just to encourage you. So we've been here before, and with this statement, I hope it brings deep encouragement to you. We're going to get worse from here. Yay. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Visitors, it's been great. No. I think I'm going to keep going just a minute. <clears throat> 
Now, I want you to pause that. Pause all that that wasn't very exciting and uplifting. I want to talk about this piece of furniture right here. The pulpit, right? This is the, the Southern Baptist pronunciation of pulpit. The pulpit. In Israel, it, well, here it's the lectern. In Hebrew, it's called the duchan. The duchan. It's the platform. It's the, it's the place where, uh, uh, um, can't remember his name, Ezra stood up and spoke to the people at the duchan. So I want to talk about it for a second because this, this, this piece of furniture, this piece of wood has three purposes. And here I'm borrowing from blessed for his, may his memory be for a blessing, Rabbi Norman Lamb, who is one of modern Judaism's pillars of thought who recently died. He says there's three purposes for this, and I agree. Teach, preach, and reach. That's what this is supposed to do. Or the person who stands behind it. But this is what this position entails. Teach, preach, and reach. Teach is of primary importance. That's the rabbi's primary job. It's the most important thing. Study is the highest form of worship. As Rabbi Lamb says, historically, that is, the, that is the function of the rabbi. The Torah is read, and then the rabbi comes and stands and gives an explanation and, and brings people into a deeper understanding of that. He can't rise to a higher function than when he's not only a shepherd guiding, but a teacher teaching. That's teaching, preaching. This is a bit more difficult because, and listen to this, because I preach a lot. Historically, this was, well, no, it's not historically. That's, that has really changed. But Yeshua stood up and preached, didn't he, in the synagogue? We'll talk about him in just a second. Hang on one second. The second is we're preaching here. There are times, and I'm reading just a minute, there are times when a rabbi must not only inform, but also remind and even sometimes demand, not only deliver a lecture, but lecture. Not only defend by teaching, but protest by preaching. And while most of the time teaching is important, preaching is, most, is more dangerous and it is more difficult. Why? I can just make all this stuff up if I'm preaching, right? Because to preach means that you must sometimes say things which are unpopular and risk disfavor in the eyes of the community. And everyone would say, well, certainly a rabbi should do that. A rabbi should be bold and get up there and say what must be said. The trouble is most people want the rabbi to do that, to preach critically of other people people that they disagree with. And it's difficult because if you're going, it's extremely difficult because if you're going to preach it, you darn sure better be practicing it, as the old adage says, practice what you preach, right? But the third function of this and this space is to reach people, and it is the most difficult. To reach into someone's soul, to move and stir them so that your eyes and your hands are lifted to heaven and you leave feeling more connected to God to reach you somewhere and bring you and connect you to something bigger. 
And that takes both of us, actually. That takes your willingness and my preparedness. But it's not easy to do. And you've seen all of these things in action. You are seeing it in action. And someone pauses and says, wow, Rabbi, yeah, you've had a couple of good messages in 10 years, but you're pretty full of yourself there. I mean, I'm not talking about me. (laughs) I'm talking about our master, Messiah Yeshua, who amazingly didn't need a set out space and a nice carved wooden piece of furniture to stand behind with a microphone. See, he could teach, preach, and reach anywhere he went. I'm a Dr. Seuss fan, so I came up with this. He could do it on a boat. He could do it in a field of goats. He could do it in the shul. Everywhere he did it was cool. His words taught us to live. They taught us how to live. He teaches Torah. He teaches about the future and what we should expect. He interprets the words of the prophets. He gives us and teaches us lessons that impact our way of seeing the world. And he preaches, which has a very unique context, but he, his words preached things into our hearts that caused us to consider the life we live and whether or not we're living it to the best of our ability. He challenged us. He challenged everyone if they needed challenging. And he was never afraid to do it. And yet he did it in the gentlest fashion, if that's a word, most gentle fashion. His preaching caused people to change. His preaching prepares us for what we must be prepared to deal with in the future that is coming. And his words reached into your soul. How many are here because of the words Yeshua uttered and said, believe in me and have eternal life? How many wanted that and reacted as he reached with his words and said, no one comes to the Father except through me? And he causes you to return to God because what is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He helps us to recognize our need. Now listen, his message, his message in a large way is also nothing new under the sun. Now before you take that as heretical. I'm not talking about believe in me and have everlasting life. I'm talking about repent. He was just saying what Moses had warned about. He was repeating and saying with power and passion, come back to God, guys. Something really bad is about to happen. Jerusalem, not a stone will be left standing. Guys, please Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. But that actually wasn't a new message, right? Isaiah said it a lot. Ezekiel said it a lot. Every one of those guys, whether you call them major or minor prophets, were telling you the same thing. Repent. 
And you know who else I imagine some 4,000 years ago had Yeshua's message that he was trying to teach, preach, and reach people with? You know who I bet it was? The guy who God said, Noah, it's bad out there. I've got to kill everyone except you and your family. I have a feeling, because Noah, Noah was known as a tzaddik, a righteous, and there's some arguments in the, in, the, in the Talmud about whether or not he really was, but I have a feeling that Noah was desperate for people to repent and come back. And how many listened? How many listened to the message? None. You got to respect his wife, though. I mean, I could see his kids, but his wife, hey, honey, uh, God told me to build a huge boat and uh, he's going to kill everyone in the world and it's going to rain so much that it floods and we're going to be on it for a while. So come on. <laughs> if I told Kelly that, she'd be like, um, Damien, why don't you go study some more or pray? Noah knew the world was going to end. Yeshua knew the world was in trouble. And he gave you that. He brought those same words into a new situation because that's what was happening. With such love, care, concern, he taught, he preached, and reached. And with that, my friends, that is what the world needs right now. We need the rabbi of rabbis to be heard, to be teach, taught, teached, preached, and reached, whatever. And so, because he is my rabbi and your rabbi, and knowing, according to Rabbi Norman Lamb, what this space is supposed to be used for, that is my current goal. <clears throat> I'm going to do my part to honor what he taught, preached, and reached, to use this sacred space to serve as the rabbi here behind this, this pulpit, behind this dukhan, for such a time as this that we currently are living in. We've been here before, I said, from the beginning. <clears throat> Excuse me, let me get some hot water here. Surely that'll help. <clears throat> We've been here before, but let's be honest. <clears throat> we weren't here when the world flooded. We weren't here when Babylon came and destroyed the temple and exiled Israel. We weren't there when Rome came and tore Jerusalem to the ground. We weren't there when the Crusades came and killed, you know, millions of, of Jews and people in Israel. None of us, as far as I'm aware, were even in Nazi Germany when that was happening. So yeah, we've seen horrible things before, but we actually have not participated in those things. Now we are, and so it gets very real when it's you who's got to figure out how to deal with these things. You can read it in the Bible all day. 
and you can talk about faith, and you can talk about right action and right words, and you can read it all day. But when the situation dictates that you must put it into practice, it gets very, very real. And that is where we are. What is this time that we're in? Did anyone see the presidential debates? Any of them, first or second? The first was like something um, Ringling Brothers had put on. Just needed some red noses and those wah, wah horns and people running around in circles like they should have just pulled a car up in the middle, one of those little mini cars, and had the doors fly open and like 20 clowns get out and run around while they're going. That was actually a quote from a Japanese martial arts movie that I did. I'm just kidding. The first one was a comedy show. The last one was a bit more substantive, but here's what I observed. The dislike, the animosity, I could use the word hate. It's a pretty strong word, but I, it's pretty, pretty strong atmosphere. Joe Biden's face was screwed up and scowling and yelling. Donald Trump was ready to pounce and devour. They both laughed derisively at one another, making faces and their tempers were there. It's angry. And what I would have liked, what I would have liked for the moderator to say, you know what, we're going to pause for just a minute and show up with a pair of boxing gloves and hand them to both of them. Because that's what they really looked like they wanted to do. Man, if I could. And I get it. It's politics. They're bitter rivals. It's, it's ugly. Smear campaigns, power, pride. It's politics. We've been there before, certainly. That's nothing new under the sun. But I felt the same anger inside of me. My blood pressure was probably 20 points higher. I had some words with the television on multiple occasions, just like I do when I'm watching a football game and the referee makes the wrong call. I yell at him, and I'm certain just like he hears me, they heard me. I felt my face screwed up at times, and I too would have pounced at moments, and my daughters were watching it with me. And they're old enough, they're teenagers. And they've watched all, I mean, they Believe me, our young people, they're watching all of it. They're seeing all of it. They see the division in our world, the fear, the hate, the apparent impending destruction. If candidate X wins, oh! If candidate Y wins, oh my! 
I think I told you this once before, but back in the, in the height of the pandemic, and I guess we're in another one of those, but it like, I don't know, March-ish, Kelly and I were sitting outside having a glass of wine, and Annabelle would kill me if she knew I was telling you this. I may have already told you, and she hasn't killed me yet, but we were sitting there just talking and laughing, and Annabelle came down and sat at the table with us outside and just started weeping, weeping. And if you knew Annabelle, I thought it was because she had gotten a bad grade, because she does that if she gets an 89. But no, we had to dig just a bit deeper to find out she's terrified. She's terrified of what she sees everywhere. Well, she's your kid, Rabbi. Doesn't she have faith in God? Haven't you raised her as a strong disciple of Yeshua? Yes. And she's still terrified, as are many adults. But my point is, she and Taylor, my daughters, saw all of this. They saw them, they saw me, and that's the question. Should they see me acting like them? Should they see the rabbi, their dad, their, their solid source of comfort and security in this world? Should they see me lose it at the stupid TV? There's nothing new under the sun. That human component that has contributed to the recurring problems of our world, that human component is alive and well. And you don't have to look hard or far for it. That's what I told you above. Humans suffer from some similar tendencies and problems that have plagued humanity since day one. But I want to ask you, I want to ask you, I don't care about your political party, honestly, for what I'm saying right now. Is this what our rabbi taught us? Is this what he preached to us? Is this how he showed us and taught us and preached to us about how to reach people? To be participants in the, in the, in the wanton hatred. And listen, the trouble is, as I'm quoting from Rabbi Lamb's three points above, preaching and its inherent danger, the trouble is most people want the rabbi to preach critically, only of somebody else. But that's not always the best approach. And here goes. This is important. Lest I give the impression that, that I think that we are somehow immune to the problems that are happening in the world or to the attitudes, or worse yet, that we're not contributing in any way, we in this room are also human. And we have the same sort of makeup and component and potential to cause destruction, hate, anger, and hurt. We may not be incorrigible, unrepentant, murderers, violent sinners, but let me ask you, have you felt hatred in your heart recently? Have you judged someone? 
Have you assumed the worst about something or someone without knowing the facts behind that? Have you called your brother Racha, as Yeshua says? Have you called him scumbag, loser? Have you caused someone to stumble by your words? The list could go on, but I have. And I am not on this platform because I'm better than you. That's one of the real dangers of standing up here, is that if you stand up here and talk down to a room full of people, it will be a matter of time until you are brought lower than everyone. I have done those things in this time and in this world that we are living in. I have definitely felt hatred in my heart, and most likely, as embarrassing as it is to say, I have expressed it with my mouth. I am, we are, on some level, contributors to what is happening in the world. And you may not want to think that. But it's so easy because the world draws you in. Even though there are so many forces at work, despicable, dark, demonic, horrible things that are happening out there, evil, wicked, terrorizing, terrifying forces that what desire, what desire it has, they have destruction, disconnection, and separation. Is that being accomplished in the world? To me, it looks like it is. Now, that could just be my opinion. And here's the part we all tend to contribute in our own little way. Some suggest the world is ending. Noah could relate to that, except it really did sort of end. Everybody but him and a few family members. I'm not ready to go that far. I don't think the world is ending. There is an election coming up. And some suggest the world will never be the same depending on who wins. The world will never be the same depending on who wins. The world will not be the same tomorrow. But that's not the point I'm making. So I've decided to use this pulpit, this dukhan, for what it's built for. It's designed to teach, preach, and reach, and I'm going to do that. Using Noah, Yeshua, Daniel, and who knows who else, I'm going to break the rules because I've always done that, just ask my mom and dad, about religion and politics. And I'm going to give you straight up the outcome you should be looking for and the outcome I'm hoping for from this election. And is anyone getting nervous and anxious? This may be my, this, this could be the last message that I ever give if the government hears it. I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll see. Next week. For now, there is one prayer to share with you. May the peace of today, this Shabbat, and the presence of Almighty God comfort your souls for the remainder of this day that has been set apart from heaven 
by God for you to rest in his presence and be restored for every battle that is ahead. Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.